HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. to Let's Eat In on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Airway, and today my guest uh, for today has uh, recently flown in from across the pond, so he joins us from the lovely UK, um, and he's a chef, restaurateur, cookbook author, and has recently released a beautiful cookbook that I'm holding in my hands right now called Eat Your Vegetables. We have Arthur Potts Dawson. How are you? Very good, thank you. Good afternoon. Thanks so much for coming. It's a pleasure. I'm sitting here in a very interesting room, looking out on people eating pizzas and enjoying themselves, and it's making me hungry. Yeah, because you have a pizza place opening up soon, too. Uh, yeah, just right. opened a pizzeria, yeah, based on the pizzas that I put into the book. You know, uh-huh. kind of, it's not all vegetarian, but it mainly kind of 90% mainly. vegetarian pizza. Interesting. Mm. I mean, that's, that's kind of like the ones that I tend to savor the most, because pizza can be very uh, satisfying on its own, you know? And, right, don't you think? Well, food... I think there's a lot of different ways of serving food and mm-hmm. some of the some of the food can get a little bit stuffy. I spent 25 years cooking, you know, kind of Michelin star food, top end, you know, high end stuff. Foie gras. And, uh, foie gras. Well, yeah, I kind of gave up on foie gras five years ago when mm. I really got a conscience. But, uh. um, yeah, no, and then I, you know, it's, it's a little bit, um, sometimes food can be a little bit anal about the way it goes about putting itself on the plate you, know, you have to be very precise you have to be very you know everything has to be the same but you know actually the past three weeks since I've been delivering the business it's kind of a lot of really you can be as free as you like yeah. you know you just throw it on you know you can be really creative mad flavours putting in you know from uh, you know raw carrot at the end of things uh, to mm. you know roast lamb pizza I mean just you know you can just have loads of fun so um, I've actually um, relaxed a little bit in uh-huh. this kind of uh, sort of freestyle pizza mode yeah, so it's like a rustic, 
a thing. It's not very composed, you know. I feel like a pizza should be like kind of messy and so forth. And, well, yeah. uh, no, I'm kind of approaching the pizzas in. I guess I've grown up a little bit. Like, I've been cooking mm-hmm. for 25 years, and you know, when I was uh, given the chance to to write this second cookbook of mine, you know, they kind of said, "Well, how do you want to do it?" Not not like this is the original formula. This is how you go about writing a cookbook. They said, "How would you do it?" So I said, mm. "Well, I." I want to give. I want to let's set the ideas down, and say, well, look, this is going to be the dish. It's going to be a canoa salad with rat, uh, you know, with carrots and radishes, and and, and, and keep it raw. Like what salad? Quinoa. Uh, oh, qu- quinoa. 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 Okay, quinoa. Interesting. Okay. So, Pronunciation uh, difference. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, and, uh, but you know, but the fact is, that's the basic idea. Right. But I didn't write the recipe. Mm-hmm. I cooked the food, took the picture, mm-hmm. and then wrote the recipe. So the book actually is you know is it a direct facsimile of okay this picture is that recipe not uh-huh. like, i didn't sit in my office kind of like typing 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 create the recipe and then go and cook it or have a food stylist cook it right. i cooked it they took the picture then i wrote the recipe associated with the picture so you know the book you know if you ever get to have a look at it it, it really the recipe is exactly what it does in the picture Wow! Mm. So you kind of wrote it in real time, yeah, it was, and it ate was, it too. I hope it was. It was. It was. Free, it, you know, it's kind of a freestyle book. Mm-hmm. And, and what's been great about my cooking career is that I, you know, I, the first ten years was specifically French. Uh, the next ten years was specifically Italian. And inside there's, I've got a great foundation, but I've also got a real kind of freehand approach to cooking. So hopefully that comes across in the book. Yeah. Well, I am looking at it, and it is just absolutely stunning every single page has something really amazing spinach mushroom and ricotta rotolo with sage butter that mm. is a new one for me well the rotolo, rotolo. rotolo is, is another way of doing pasta it's basically a big flat pasta sheet you know nice and thin you cook your mushrooms you cook your spinach you get your ricotta you can put uh, marjoram nutmeg salt and pepper splash of olive oil and then you roll it up it's a bit like a swiss roll mm. I don't know if you get Swiss rolls over here, but yeah. it's, you, know, you kind of roll it up, keep it in a, in, in a napkin and poach it in warm water. You don't want it to boil, but you kind of want it about 70, 80 degrees centigrade. Uh, it takes about 15 minutes to cook. Pull it out and you cut it like a Swiss roll, but then you kind of serve it with sage butter. Oh, it's so good. Uh, it's so it good. looks great. Yeah. And it, you just describe it and it makes a lot more sense because a lot of these recipes are I'm really fascinated because they're so practical and they're, they look so simple. Mm. I love these bean recipes, chickpea stew with broiled onions and smoked paprika, and it just looks stunning, mm. and that's something I can do, I mm. think. <laughs> well, look, the whole idea there is that's, that's kind of based on the Greek idea. You know where they oh. do those sort of semi-pickled onions? They're sort of a little bit lightly vinegared or yeah, lightly lemon juice, so. and then kind of either grilled. I know, you have to call it broiled. Charred or Charred, something, that's yeah. exactly. And just blacken the top, so you get this mm. kind of black charcoal lemony vinegary kind of crunchy onion with these beautiful kind of braised chickpeas and uh, you know and, and the paprika gives it that kind of smoky slight kind of heat to it mm. actually that's a really good dish it looks <laughs> the whole, really good the whole book is ah. really good it kind of makes me hungry looking at so it so it's mostly vegetarian that's the yeah. idea yeah. it's called eat your vegetables but it's not a strictly vegetarian cookbook mm. you're saying it's no look um, I mean you know I do still have meat in my diet but the mm-hmm. whole idea about incorporating meat into your diet or keeping meat in your diet it has got to be high quality you know you're talking about heritage you know heritage breeds in England you know whether it's a heritage tomato or heritage beef you know you've got to go good quality and sometimes not so not sometimes all of the time if you're going to eat meat you've got to eat it at the best quality and it takes time and energy and skill and passion to deliver that high quality meat Mm -hmm. which will always equal cost do you think that eating less meat and kind of putting vegetables into the forefront rather than the background of your diet is a is a trend that is on 
developing or has already been quite underway in the UK? Because here, and um, I, I've seen that happening it's slowly ca- but surely. Yeah, I, I, yeah. What people don't really realise is that vegetables are in their lives. Mm-hmm. That they they are always consuming potatoes. There's spinach and there's mushrooms and you know and they, they do have vegetables, but they they don't consciously pay very much attention to them because you, when you when I say to you, hey, you want to go out for dinner tonight? Let's go and have a steak. Yeah. What we true. forget is that we'll also have a salad and we'll also have some spinach. There may be some mushrooms mm-hmm. on the side. And actually, you know, about two thirds of the meal is made up of vegetables. There just yeah. happens to be a steak on the plate too. And I think that what I'm trying to say with this book is like, look, you know, let's give it a little bit more respect to our kind of vegetable cousins and say, look, you know. <laughs> Pay more respect to them, eat them fresh, get them seasonally. And our bodies are designed to consume vegetables as well as meat. And eating vegetables gives you a very good slice of what season you're in. Yeah. Like as we're coming up into the autumn now, you're going to get your sweet corn, you're going to get your pumpkins, you're going to get your apples, you're going to get your, you know, all of your want and your honey, all of this wonderful stuff that um, is particularly seasonal, your body needs. And I think that meat and, and, you know, and chicken and... Okay, maybe you're going to eat lamb in the spring, but it's kind of available all year round. <laughs> right, right. And so meat is something that you kind of absorb into your life and it's always there and you don't really think about the season. I think vegetables are so much more exciting because you go, well, it's mushroom season. Oh, you know, it's, it's asparagus season. No, mm-hmm. no, it's pea and broad bean season. And so I think that, you know, this book really kind of highlights, look, pay a little bit more attention to your body. Pay a little bit more attention to the season. Each season will deliver you a different vegetable and a different experience. And ultimately, you'll have a hell of a lot of a better time eating and respecting vegetables and 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 then you can if you want to eat meat you can add it but make sure you i mean a lot of people nowadays want to eat meat every day and without meat in their diet every day they start to worry they start to say oh hey i'm not full up well i think that i eat meat maybe once a week okay uh, and fish once a week the rest of the time it'll be rice it'll be a stew it'll be a soup it'll be you know it can be a risotto could be a pasta Mm -hmm. but you know and, you and get the, plenty of protein from that. Stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And and if you put and then if you put a really good high quality, I mean, I put an organic, free range organic egg. chicken into my diet yeah. once a week, and, and oh, eggs too. Egg. Yeah. Okay. And, but but Sorry. but the, the fact that that chicken will cost me nearly twenty pounds, uh-huh. which I don't know was like thirty dollars or something, a thirty dollar chicken. Now, people that I know will go to a, 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 a supermarket in England and they'll buy two chickens for five pounds. <laughs> But they are intensively reared. They're fed with antibiotics. They are, you know, and, and same with the milk and dairy industry. Uh, why put that stuff into your body every day? It's not doing you any good. And, mm-hmm. and there's diabetes epidemics. There's sugar issues. There's, you know, there's just so many issues associated with food that I think we have to look a little bit at ourselves and say we don't need to consume food in this way anymore. So hopefully this book goes some way to show people, look, change the way you consume meat. Have a look at your dairy intake. Involve vegetables more in your diet, and you and you'll be healthier for it. Absolutely, and it is exciting to see those vegetables change throughout the season. I think that once you keep an eye on that, it won't get. It, you can't get bored. Possibly. No, it's exciting. Yeah. It's exciting. And, That's and, a good and, point. And, what, and part of this book actually, and I've been show, I wanted to. I'm going to digress a little bit and we'll yeah, come back sure. to this point. Mm-hmm. In as much that the the in the publication of the book prior to it, I, prior to the publication, I lived it, ate it, photographed it wrote mm-hmm. it for about eight months and in those eight months I got so engrossed in it that I didn't really then realize I was actually writing a book I just having fun with food right. and only until the first copy of the book arrived did I actually realize that I'd written the book I know it sounds a bit strange but and then as it as it got you know it's kind of written up really nicely and a lot of people have paid a lot of respect to it and, and I've kind of realized oh 
I now, you know, I'm very happy with it. I didn't really, I, I was a bit kind of, I, I sort of disregarded it. <laughs> but a lot of the feedback that came in was the fact that, that a lot of people didn't really know what to do with so many different varieties of vegetables. Right. And I've put in there, I mean, there's, you know, there's nearly 280 recipes, over 70 different varieties of vegetables. And people have said, you know what, now that I can get my vegetable box delivered to me or I can go down to the farmer's market or even in the supermarket, I know what to do with that kohlrabi or that celeriac or that spinach or those mushrooms, um, which I didn't, didn't know last week without the book. So it should really inspire people to eat it, a lot of different vegetables. It does. I already found an ingredient I've never seen before, samphire. Oh, yeah, samphire. It looks cool. It looks yeah. kind of like seaweed. It's seaweed, slash, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. God. Well, no, it, okay. grows, it grows on the shingle shores of the coast of britain I, you probably get it here um i don't know maybe it's in a different word but but samphire yeah, is it's very lightly salty uh, yeah. it's it's sometimes Umami, known as sea right? asparagus oh okay that's yeah. okay have I you heard of that? that yeah okay so and, and it grows on the shores uh, you know on the on the sort of seashore and i suggest actually as foragers that we started out as human beings we foraged on the seashore before we foraged in the forests huh. foraged in the forests mm. uh, and so it's probably one of our earliest um, vegetables that we ate interesting so, yeah very cool yeah along with so, mussels and lobsters and things so like that. how how did you arthur as a chef for all these french you know michelin starred restaurants come to these conclusions about what we you know what's great about vegetables in our diet mm. All right, Did you well, get overweight? Did you? <laughs> uh, no, no. Uh, well, no um, what's um? It, it's funny. I'll, I'll give you a, a, a restaurant perspective because mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, if you sit down in a restaurant and you read a menu, you're reading it from a customer point of view. But a chef will not write that menu from a customer's point of view. Yeah. He or she will write the menu from a chef's point of view. And the chef's point of view is how do you structure this menu? How do you then deliver it as quickly as possible, um, as effectively, cost-effectively as possible, as deliciously as possible? You know, all of the things that the chef's taken into perspective to deliver a well-balanced menu. But inside a kitchen, you have different sections. You have the garmanger, I don't know what you call it here, or the entree section yeah, where you do the salads it. and the starters. And then you move on to the main course, then you go on to dessert. That's kind of three sections. But usually in a big kitchen, it's about seven Except in sections. America, we always have a lot of fry station. No, I'm just kidding. The fry station. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so the point being is that the, the foundation of any kitchen is the veg section or the vegetable section. Because the vegetable section cooks and prepares all the potatoes, cooks and prepares all the vegetables, cooks and prepares... I mean, basically... Two-thirds of the product that comes into the restaurant goes through the veg section. It's heavy, it's mm-hmm. bulky, it takes a lot of time, and it takes a lot of skill. It takes a lot of knowledge to be able to deliver on that veg section. A lot of chefs have this kind of dream of, I want to get to the sauce section where I get to make the, the perfect gravy for my meal. Then there's the meat section where you cook the steaks and the grouse and the partridge and the pheasant and the, <laughs> you know, and the lamb and the chicken and all that sort of stuff. And that's usually what people aim at. Uh, and then there's the fish section, which is the section kind of underneath the veg, uh, underneath the meat section, which is you know you're working your way towards uh, meat. Uh-huh. But underneath that is the veg section, and it's kind of like the foundation. It's the cornerstone of the kitchen. And before you can put your partridge on the plate, you need to put the veg on it first. Yeah. Before you can put your salmon on the plate, you need to put your veg on it first. So the ve- so the veg comes forward and says, look, okay, I'm here now. Put the chicken on. But I've spent. 18 years practically on the veg sections because you know every kitchen you go into to get to the top you've got to go through the veg section and you usually spend about a year or two on the veg section and any chef listening to this you'll know what I mean the veg section you've got to go through it to get to sauce so you know I'm kind of talking code language here for the chefs but the point is 
a lot of chefs spend a lot of time on the veg section, but they're always looking off uh-huh. towards sauce. Huh. Actually, what I've always enjoyed and, and, and really wanted to um, uh, get involved with is the veg section is always so interesting because it, it depends on the season, depends what time of the year you're on that veg section. Is that, oh, it's a mushroom season, oh, it's potato season, oh, it's new potatoes, oh, now it's asparagus, now it's peas. And so it's, it's the most interesting section mm-hmm. and so when I, I thought well look I just I, I want to make sure that both the chefs of the world and the customers of the world both get to understand that veg is probably the most important part of the kitchen mm-hmm. you just don't know it so eat your vegetables was like look 80 to 90 percent of the food that comes through your kitchen is vegetable based you just so happen to put a steak or a piece of chicken or a piece of fish on top of it so let's stop thinking oh let's go out and eat a chicken tonight so let's go out and eat some vegetables and if i want to put some protein on it great i'll ask him for a bit of chicken but it's just not important not as important as vegetables that's fascinating and and i mean looking at the i love the twisting of the reversing of the hierarchy here and looking at a lot of these vegetable entrees they look like the the star of the dish for sure um let's take a quick little interlude a musical interlude and we'll be right back and chat about more home cooking and good stuff great Ranch grass-fed beef, pasture-raised on 150,000 acres in Central California. 
Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, free-range, sustainably produced, humane. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, the authentic flavor of the American West. All right, we're back chatting with Arthur Potts Dawson, the author of Eat Your Vegetables. Wonderful, beautiful cookbook. It just came out. Please get your hands on it. Um, Arthur was just at the New Amsterdam market yesterday selling a few copies. Actually, I think he sold more than a few copies. Oh, we sold out. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of a bit embarrassing because people were kind of saying, why are you here? And I said, well, I was here to sell a book, but we sold them all. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they, I just gave people free heritage tomato salad all afternoon. So yeah, it was, it was really good. Uh, you know what? I, I didn't actually expect, and probably because of my own ignorance, I, I didn't think there'd be so many foodies over here. And really? That, yeah, that it was like foodie heaven, you know? Well, there's Everyone. a lot of people here, so you have, you're off to a good start. No, there are a lot of people here. Yeah, sorry, I've just knocked my pizza. Are all over the place. Oh. Hey, uh, by the way, uh, delicious pizza here mm-hmm. at Roberta's mm-hmm. um, without being paid to advertise it. That's a good compliment coming from a pe- pizzeria restauranter. Yeah, well, I'm a kind of new, a new sort a of newbie. pizzeria owner. Okay. Yeah, now, but I'm, I'm much more kind of yeah, uh, sort of fine food orientated. But you know what? Uh, um, I want to chuck the fine food out the window okay. and just to go freehand it sounds like you've had a multitude of projects too tell me about the people's supermarket that uh was in london yeah well one of my started. visits uh i was visiting new york uh, about five or six years ago i came across the park slope food co-op and in my quest to try and and make the world a greener more sustainable place i was opening restaurants uh, in London, which uh, were you know reducing the impact of waste, of energy consumption, of product consumption, I was composting, I was doing wormeries, I was doing so self-contained like green restaurants. Yeah, it was, was green that? restaurants. Yeah, cool. that's kind of what I'm known for over in, in London. And um, the issue with that is, is it's all very well that you're doing that, but how much of an impact are you having on the planet? Because all I was really doing was attracting the same like-minded people. Mm-hmm. So if you're, you're, you'd be lucky if about 5% of the population pays any attention to the way that you want to have, you know, organic dairy, organic meat. restaurant run. Yeah, yeah, restaurant run like that. So all I had was people turning up, patting me on the back, saying, hey, well, I'm green too, let's be <laughs> green together. And I was just like, well, actually... I want to know what the 95% of people are doing because 5% isn't enough for me. So I, I kind of knew that to try and get the green message across or certainly the message of how to do business differently, um, I had to do something that people used every single day and that was a supermarket. So um, I kind of took the kind of the lead from uh, Joe Holtz and his team at, um, at the Parks Slope Food Co-op and said, look, so I want to come over here, take your business model, bring it back to London, open up something and I called it the People's Supermarket. So if you like, Google the People's Supermarket and you can have a really good look at what it is we've achieved in the past four years. Um, and inside the People's Supermarket, I created something called the People's Kitchen. And supermarkets in, in, in England generate a vast amount of waste, especially from their fresh fruit and vegetables. It's about 30% of the fruit and vegetable comes in, goes out as waste. So uh, at the People's Supermarket, I created the People's Kitchen, which absorbed all of the waste generated by the supermarket and turned it into another product that you then bought at about half the price of a normal quiche or a pasta salad or a soup or whatever. And so the People's Kitchen was has been the biggest biggest success wow and, uh, you know so it's managing food waste at a supermarket level which is mega yeah so you know we've got about three thousand square feet of, of sales floor which isn't very much maybe but we should was... do that at the park slope food co-op uh well i'm gonna see joe later on today so i'm gonna tell oh, him listen good, come yeah. and do the people's kitchen over here so it's um, like a prepared food section yeah right yeah okay. but it's, it's live it's going out fresh yeah. every day and you know people can come and interact people come and volunteer their time and actually the great thing about the people's kitchen was that you have to volunteer your time into the people's supermarket just like at the park slope food co-op where the time you give, you get money back off at your um, at the till end. You know, mm-hmm. so when you're buying it, you get your money off. 
exactly the same model at the people's supermarket, but you know, you could really make a decision as to where you wanted to work. So I've and actually ended up having hundreds of people wanting to come and work in the people's kitchen because they learned not only yeah. how to deal with food waste at a house level thing, but they also learned something. So they learned exactly. how to make it. Exactly, and that's that's the, the whole stuff. idea of the co-op, right? Mm-hmm. Is that you're sharing everybody yeah. is working for yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that did really really well. So. Um, yeah, well, you know, I've been pretty active, I suppose, and and you know, I, uh, the People's Kitchen is a, just a fantastic idea, and and it's one that's going to carry on forever. And then since then, I, I've done uh, something called um, uh, thecrystal.org, which is a four hundred solar panel rooftop kind of, uh, you know, absorbing energy, which you can oh. power your car off and black water treatment facility, and it's it's become London's urban sustainability centre. Mm-hmm. And while I was delivering that, I've been doing brown paper pizzas. Um, brown paper pizzas is my newest venture, which is all about sustainable fast food, and um, you know, mm-hmm. it's all about the concept of um, the carbon cycle. My first restaurant, Acorn House, was based on the um, the element of wood, uh, which is all about education. The mm-hmm. second restaurant I did was called Waterhouse, which is all about the element of water, nice. which which is element is education uh, and sorry um, and wisdom. So I everything I learned from delivering Acorn House, I put into Waterhouse and went further. So the third concept is um, the fire element, and that's all about the carbon cycle. Mm-hmm. So I'm using brown paper as my placemat, as okay. my napkin, as my re- uh, as my receipt, as my menu, and all of that is then composted uh, through my uh, you know through the land around the restaurant. Great. Which is all about carbon sequestration. So if anyone out there who deals with carbon sequestration wants to talk about you know how to go about it, or you could tell me more about it, that'd be really helpful. It's basically trying to lock carbon back into the system, into the right, ground, because right. at the moment we're burning it, you know, into the atmosphere at such a pace that I don't know where we're going to be in ten years' time. So really, I wanted to try and say that fast food needs to grow up and needs to actually start to take account for itself, because at the moment it's doing a serious amount of damage to this planet. So you're taking responsibility for all that with the paper napkins yep. and everything, and uh, just dealing with that waste and yourself upcycling, and upside. Yeah. Rather than recycling, which I don't agree with, I think recycling is just another form of energy oh, yeah, requirement. Yeah, and then yeah. end, it would ultimately end up in landfill. It's all about upcycling. So I'll take the old menu and I'll roll it up and I'll roll up all my old menus and I put them together with hair clips and it creates a heat pad which I can put my mocha coffee on top of. So <laughs> I serve mocha coffee. I don't do the you know the big espresso machine anymore. I just do these little Italian mocha thing. You open it up, put the coffee inside, and then it percolates through over a heat. Delicious coffee, single estate Ethiopian Yerkachefe coffee. So lots of little kind of quirky things that I built into the business which actually highlights independent right, traders right. in highlights you know the carbon cycle because it's very difficult to tell people what the carbon cycle actually is they don't get it it's like the first the, the second yeah. restaurant was the water water house it was all about the water cycle and how water you know comes up precipitates down as rain goes through the seas and back through the rivers and then they go, oh, i don't get it oh, what is water where does it come from so you know and so this time i'm now trying to do carbon and Again, the carbon cycle, people just don't get. So I think it's kind of how do you spread the okay. message, you know? Well, a good way to start is by sharing some or serving some really great food to go along with the discussion or well, you the know, learning f- experience. Food is one, you know, food is probably the only thing that really pulls groups of people together, mm-hmm. you know? I, I, you know, and at weddings and funerals or whatever, it's always about food. So, you know, communication, I think food is a wonderful way of getting people to communicate. Right. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a bit like a priest, I suppose. It marries people to together right. you know food is an important important part of our lives and i was talking to someone yesterday about how uh, too many people consider food to be an inconvenience <laughs> you know oh man I mean, it's lunchtime i've got to eat something really quickly and then i've got to go back to work 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 actually come on take a little time out 
enjoy your food respect your food a little bit more and you'll respect your body a little bit more which should ultimately let you respect the planet a bit more right i can't i can't relate with that though i do see those ads on the subway like hey just take this bar with you and you'll be done yeah. Yeah. yeah sure um but yeah so um i asked this question to every guest mm. um what makes the ultimate date meal in your opinion Ooh, it depends if I'm a cooking. A date-worthy meal, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, um, it, it it all depends on. Uh, well, I guess there's a, there's a lot of points of depending on here. Um, mm-hmm. uh, if it's a first, is it a first date? It could be, or just you know your ideal, ideal whatever situation scenario. Okay. So mm-hmm. okay, well, um, well then, um, my ideal meal. To actually get the, the you know, the the, the kind of aphrodisiac juices flowing mm-hmm. um, and one that never really fails. Okay. So hopefully you can try Please, this. Um, yeah. or something. Uh, you've always got to start with asparagus. Uh, <laughs> and usually, actually, there's a recipe in there where I do roasted asparagus with cherry tomatoes, a tiny splash of balsamic vinegar, and literally just roast that through the oven. And that should, that should okay, start. Okay, high asparagus. temp, like 450, and then just kind yeah, of like, get it, yeah, get it, get the get it high, uh, roast it, yeah, for about eight, nine minutes. Keep the asparagus just al dente, you know, okay. just to the bite, and the cherry tomatoes will give you, and then maybe put a little splash of balsamic vinegar on it. That's nice and simple. But okay. asparagus is an unbelievable aphrodisiac. Do I have to wait till the spring to have this date? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, you have fine. to wait okay, to find your cool. husband in the spring. It's yeah. a good time for <laughs> a date anyway. Uh, and then, and you know, main course needs to be a Dover sole. Now, I'm not quite sure if you Whoa. get Dover sole over here. But it, Grey I guess soul, could, same thing. I don't sure. know. No, Dover, I okay. suppose, is actually. I'll know, look into it. Yeah, Dover soul okay. or, or, or turbot. Turbot, yeah. Turbot. We get okay. That. So turbot. Uh, what it is is it's a big meaty fish. Yeah. It's got a lot of, you know, it's got a lot of energy in it, uh, and so you know that kind of gets the juices flowing as well. I usually serve <laughs> that with new potatoes or roast potatoes, and okay. um, yeah, either you know uh, the chopped rosemary um, or you know sort of basil and mint sauce with that. How do you cook the fish? Uh, okay, well, you, no, you got no, you got to keep it whole. on the bone. Okay. Keep it on the bone. Well, it depends how big your turbot is, but usually mm. if you go to a fishmonger, it'll it'll be serving it in a tranche, like in a slice with the bone through it. Okay. Filleted, you know, you're not, you know, you got to get some bone into your date meal. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's important. You Good. know, it gives you full power. Um, mm. And and then you know you got to go chocolate to dessert. I mean, chocolate okay. with cherries, chocolate with strawberries. It depends if you if you love your date or not. Strawberries, <laughs> strawberries for love, cherries for passion. Uh, or yeah, maybe you should do strawberries and cherries, and then hmm. you get this kind of love passion thing going on. Gosh, maybe I was doing the wrong berry there. For now, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, I'll have to try that out. That sounds amazing. Yeah, well, uh, um, that's pretty much a guaranteed date meal. Okay. Yeah, I've cooked it a lot of times. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I've been on a lot of dates. <laughs> I want to go. I want to. I want to get some turbo, yeah. turbot, whatever. Yeah. Really soon. But um, thanks so much for the advice and uh, inspiring stories about your restaurants. I wish you the best of luck with the new one Thank and you. future projects that I'm sure you'll be doing next. Great. On, on uh, different elements. Oh, you got to have me back. Next time I'm in New York, please have me back on. Please, yes, definitely. Okay. I'm sure it's I'll be doing some crazy projects. And congrats on the new book. Do check it out. Eat Your Vegetables. It just came out from Octopus Publishing this August. And uh, thanks to everyone at Heritage Radio Network. We'll see you next week on Let's Eat In. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. 
You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>